pioneered this whole 1986 act and unfortunately during that process which she wasn't a part of this part mm -hmm. um, vaccine manufacturers were released from all liability yeah. and not just released from all liability with the vaccines that were currently on the schedule but any vaccine then from that point forward that was added to the CDC the Center for Disease Control, uh, Control Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices as long as they recommended that that then they were all released from liability. So we watched that vaccine program explode. Yeah. Okay. Do well, we, uh, I have one question. Well, hold on. Hold okay. on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. So we had a little technical glitch there. Oh. We're just running and gunning with this new setup here. And so apparently the sound wasn't going, but that the sound is going now. Okay. So we, we are basically just starting the episode right now. I'm so sorry, you guys. So we're just so smiling a lot before. We were smiling, and it looked like they could tell we were having a good time and having a meaningful we're conversation. We're having a grand time. But, uh, okay. Nobody knows why. So you guys, welcome, welcome, welcome. We have uh, with us the great Courtney Turner, and of course, Susie Corgan Olson. Olson Corgan. <laughs> Susie Olson Corgan. Back the second time. Susie Olson Corgan in the house. I always remember because, like, Olson is traditionally the last name. Right? That's yeah. a more of a true. But I guess, you know, Billy Corgan, you got Corgan is a good last name too. Or not a, a common last name. Yeah. That's a story so, for another it's, day. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so how about this? Susie Olson Corgan is here in the house tonight, and I'm super grateful. Uh, Susie, please tell us a little bit about your background, and then we'll get this going, this party started. Okay. okay. So I got involved in this back in the very beginning of 2008 when I took my son in for his one-year vaccines, and he had a severe adverse reaction. He stopped breathing. He broke out in a full body rash. Um, we needed to take him to the emergency room immediately. The pediatrician called and the ambulance, I'm going to expand a little more than I did earlier, yeah. um, was going to be stuck in traffic on the five because I live in Seattle and the five traffic's insane. And so she said, it's a better chance to just drive him yourself, which was terrifying to me because I was by myself with my infant child. I drove him down to Children's Hospital just trying to get them to save his life. After that day, after that stay, he never for years made eye contact or walked again or talked again or had any kind of meaningful interaction with us. So that was the day that I learned that vaccines could cause injury. Prior to that, I had always heard that vaccines were safe and effective, vaccines save lives. My grandfather had polio as a child. He lived in a convalescent home. He had to go through the whole iron lung and all of that. And I was raised by him and I always heard that vaccines are what could have stopped that from happening mm. so i had cognitive dissonance as well and that's why i have so much compassion and grace for people now when i have these conversations because i didn't know what i didn't know mm. and now that i know it's my mission in life to share that with other people wow and you do a lot of amazing work i can't wait to get into all the stuff that you've been doing you know because it really is important work you know uh how long before you got involved like you know in activism like after that incident happened until you actually got involved in activism so I would say it was actually shortly thereafter. So in the days coming, they kept telling me that my son was going to get better, that his lethargy would go away, his vomiting would go away, the diarrhea would go away, the rashes. I kept hearing it would go away, um, alternate Tylenol and Motrin, and he'll feel better and things will get better. But things didn't get better. Weeks went by, months went by. He still was unable to walk or talk or communicate. So that was when I realized the system was screwing us mm. and they weren't going to tell us what I actually needed to do to help my child. So I started researching very, very quickly after that um, and trying to figure out how to help him. So 
So that's when he was just over one. He was about 15 months old. By three, I had found a lot of information about alternative therapies and how to restore his body mm. holistically through sure. food and diet and exercise. And he received, um, then at that point, I found the organization Generation Rescue. Okay. And so that was started by J.B. Hanley and Lisa Hanley. Perfect. Um, who have become dear friends of mine and awesome. mentors. Um, and they told me all about all these alternative therapies. They mean that their organization Generation Rescue um, told me about all these different therapies that I could do and interventions and tests that I could do. And it wasn't mainstream. So I think that probably that was the time. So about three years later that I became the activist okay. that I am now. Cool. Because it wasn't out there. Yeah. I, I had to search and search and search to see if there was any hope anywhere. Everyone just kept telling me to institutionalize my child. There was no hope. He'd never get better, blah, blah, blah. So once I found out that there was and I heard about all these recovery stories, I was like, I have to get this out there. Mm -hmm. So I went from very, being a very like meek, reserved, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom, homeschool my kids, do the organic gardening, all that stuff to like, you know, back the fuck off my kid. Yep. And I'm going to get this information out there. That's amazing. That's amazing. So this is the question that I was going to say for the show. All right. So are there any vaccines on the market in the United States or anywhere that are safe for human consumption that you would give to your child? With what I know about all the vaccines that are currently on the Advisory Committee of Immunization Practices and CDC's adolescent childhood and adult schedules, I cannot safely or morally recommend any of those vaccines to anyone ever under any circumstances. Bam. I concur. hundred percent. That's it. That's great. I love that. I love that. I was, I was, I was looking for you to be like, no, but that was even better. That was, like, that was like, that was a no to like the 10th degree. That was like such a huge no. You heard that here. Never folks do not guys. What are you thinking? Like you've seen what these folks are capable of the last couple of years. Well, I can say that because I've been at CDC. Okay. I, I used to go to the ASAP meetings, the yep. advisory committee on immunization practices. They have meetings three times a year. Wow. So every October, February, and June, I was in the CDC, which is a military base that I'm sitting there. And yeah. these guys, yeah. they have to like do the metal test, the, the metal detector and all that stuff as you're walking through. Like it's an intimidating situation. Yeah. But I was walking in and testifying before that committee multiple times a day over their two days of deliberating over the new vaccines three times a year. And try and have those conversations and figure out what the hell was going on there mm -hmm. and why they were approving these vaccines for our children when they had not been tested, when the safety and the efficacy data was not there, it was not adequate. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot in those meetings, and now I can confidently say the statement I just made to you guys. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I love that. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, um, we we were talking before there was sound about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we we had talked about the Vaccine Compensation Act of uh, 1986. And I'm curious, I thought that that was only granted impunity if uh, the VAERS was kept up to date. Now, both sides of the argument, right, both sides of the aisle keep arguing that VAERS is not accurate. And so how is it that they're still granted all this impunity? Are you, do you know? Yeah, I think that the, the easy answer is collusion and corruption, right? right? So we know that all of our regulatory agencies have been captured by corporations, by the pharmaceutical industry. There is no argument there, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we have our, the vac, like Pfizer puts out their COVID vaccine or COVID jab, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. They put it out there, but they're the ones doing the safety data on it. Right. They're the ones putting the efficacy data on it. It's like, really? No, no conflict of interest. None, none whatsoever. <laughs> so both sides are saying, so the, the pro-vaccine, pro-mandate side is saying that 
anyone can report anything to VAERS. It doesn't mean anything. We shouldn't look at this as actual factual data, et cetera, et cetera. The people on the anti-vaccine side are saying only 1% of adverse reactions are being reported, as we know from the Harvard Pilgrim study, um, that people don't know what VAERS is. Medical professionals don't know what VAERS is. Yeah. We know that medical professionals they don't know what VAERS so is. It's so difficult for the ones who do know. I, I've heard this firsthand from medical professionals. They make it so difficult to file that a lot of people just won't because that's challenging. Or they try and they can't get through it. Well, they absolutely do. But again, it's, there's not that educational component. People don't know what it is. So there's a woman named Ashley Grog, and she actually just started this new website. And it's about educating medical professionals on what VAERS is hmm. and how to report adverse reactions. So I would love to give you guys that link so that you could share that totally. as well. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Great. Cool. Uh, let's see. So uh, tell us about Initiative for Family Health. So that's an organization you're involved in. <laughs> yes. Tell us a little bit about that. So initiatives for family health, it's like I can talk to you guys all day long about all the bad things going on in the world and the negative stuff that's happening and how our kids are being attacked by the pharmaceutical industry. But through all that, like that really brings about a lot of depression and anxiety sometimes sure. as well. And so I wanted to start something that was proactive, protective and helpful. So initiatives for family health, we work to empower people within their own communities to make the best choices they can for their family members and their own children, whether that has to do with organic food or gardening, removing glyphosate from the school grounds, getting you know fake food coloring out of school lunches, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously vaccine education is a key component yeah. of that. Um, learning the legislative process, which I didn't learn until I was almost 30 years old. Yeah. So it's very important that we know those processes. So initiatives is really working to give people that information so that they can get involved at whatever level they're comfortable with and take action so that they can be effective and be empowered to make that positive change within their families, within their communities, and hopefully, eventually, within the world. Okay, perfect. And there, you guys, there's links to that in the description. Go so check that out. Um, I, I, I basically, okay, so... Susie and I have tried to connect for like a, maybe a month right now, right? And when, when we first, when I first started compiling the notes, the show notes for the first episode, her uh, link tree, I just had that on there. And then uh, when I was compiling it for the most recent time, I noticed that her link tree was taken down. Dude, so that's so I don't so know why crazy. that would happen. I have no idea why that would happen. <laughs> so so uh, we'll, we'll maybe take a look at getting you fixed up with a more liberty-oriented link tree, which I, I, I got one to recommend for you. So thank you. Help with that. But anyway, <laughs> um. So yeah, check in the episode description besides the Liberty Links one or the the Link Tree one because uh, that one's not going to work, but all of our other links are down there. Uh, so you have uh, so you come from Seattle, right? Yes. Um, it's kind of a hot spot of not only like I have a lot of liberty minded friends up there. Uh, big shout out to the autonomy team, Stephanie and them. If you're watching, like uh, you need to get you guys paired up because uh, you know they're doing some cool, really cool like meetups and really cool stuff up in the Seattle area. But uh, we also have a lot of like dark energy emanating from the Seattle area as well. Um, Mr. Bill Gates is up in, in, in uh, Seattle. And we have also Craig, big shout out to Craig. He's up in Seattle too. He's like probably the oldest listener that, I, well not the, like, he's the longest listener that I'm aware of. Like he's like, he's like, he bought the first t-shirt that I ever put out, you know, like he's been with me on this journey forever. He's up in the Seattle area. Big shout out to Craig. His uh, wife works at a restaurant and uh, they frequent that restaurant. Uh, like like the the Mary Gates and uh, uh, the dad William Senior like they used to go in there all the time and I'm always getting like the inside scoop on them and everything and it's just like wow dude so uh, you have stories you've been holding out on maybe we should, <laughs> well, I, I don't know I don't know and then Craig says yeah you can talk about them there so sorry Craig I don't mean to throw you on the bus if, if I just threw you on the bus but anyway but he does say that they're they're really bad tippers and they're kind of rude you know imagine that imagine that no so. Uh, <laughs> 
So I have some questions specific about Bill Gates, but what, what, what would you say as a Seattle resident about it? someone in this movement? Like, what's your take on the whole Gates situation? Oh, honey, I can talk to I know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. I want to give you the option of where you want to start with this. Because I want, I, want, I want some inside dirt, too. I mean, my thing, my biggest thing against Gates is the fact that he started in 2007 IHME, which okay. was the organization that said that 2.2 million people were going to die from COVID. Mm. He's also one of the primary funders for the British Imperial College. They did the disease modeling for the rest of the world. Mm. So we have these two gates controlled organizations that are saying everyone needs to lock down. They need to stay home. They need to close their businesses. They need to keep their kids home from school despite the emotional, social, economic impact it's gonna have on them. And they never considered the economic impact because they didn't have to, they're very yeah. wealthy people. So my biggest complaint I would say with Gates and that whole foundation and everything that he's doing is that he is such an elitist, mm. so far above the common man that all these recommendations he had, he never one time considered how this was gonna impact everyone else. And if he did consider it, I don't wanna say anyone's evil, but if he did consider it, then he's evil. Yeah. Because look how many people committed suicide. Look at the mental health issues. Look what happened to our children. Yeah. Look all the businesses that were shut down. Our city of Seattle is run over by homeless people right yeah. now. We had the autonomous zone where they just allowed those people to go right into city hall. I mean, we had so much bullshit happening in Seattle. Yeah. And it was all backed and supported by Gates, the Gates Foundation, the Seattle mayor. You know, that whole collude, all that collusion that happened there. And it's absolutely absurd for anyone, anybody that's watching the show or anyone else that's following Gates to believe that he ever had anything, like any of our best interests at heart, because he clearly didn't. He was looking out for him and for his elitist, elitist cohorts, and there was nothing else that he was thinking about in that time. I mean, I don't know his heart, and I feel bad being so harsh about that side of it, but I live there and I'm watching it. Yeah. He's also our, our top funder for our governor in Washington state that has kept our state under a state of emergency this entire time. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine that. And, uh, yeah, it's just so, so dark and evil, man. Like, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to, it's hard to like make any sort of judgments on what's in somebody's heart, but you know, we have enough anecdotal evidence. Like one of the things that tells us, I mean, he has that, there's that famous clip of him saying like, it's a 20 X return on investment on vaccine. You know, this is not a philanthropic thing. Like this is him. This is an investment. And he's making a huge profit on it. Yeah. Like, like the amount of wealth that he's gained over the course of this, you know, quote unquote pandemic is just astonishing, right? It's very profit driven, but I'd, I'd say that there's a darker element to it for sure. I would say, yeah. I mean, his his father was, you know, involved in Planned Parenthood yep. and was in about eugenesis, right? So I, I think it's pretty hard to, to deny that some of those uh, values were not imparted. And, uh, if you look back in a lot of his writings, he does seem to support those values. So, yeah. And he talks about population reduction. He talks about it through vaccines, right? Yeah. He said that we oh, yeah. reduce the population 11% uh, through uh, reproductive control and vaccines. Yeah. Well, I would argue, too, now, this is one of my favorite rabbit holes in the world, is that, you know, he's got the eugenics on both sides of his family. With yeah. his mom, Mary, and his dad, too. Yeah. So, like, his mom is two degrees separation away from Adolf Hitler himself, you know? You have uh, the the IBM and the Holocaust, right? You have that whole rabbit hole about how, the IB, how IBM was creating the index machines, the Hollerith machines that were used to index and categorize people in the concentration camps, right? 
run by a guy named Thomas Watson, who is the IBM CEO, who received the highest medal of honor that a foreigner can receive from the Third Reich. Like, and there's photos of him, of Hitler and Thomas Watson sitting down having brunch or something together, right? The CEO of IBM. Thomas Watson went on to have, uh, you know, went on to be the CEO of IBM all the way through like the 60s, maybe 70s. Yeah. His protege was a guy named John Oppel, who went over, became the CEO of IBM. John Oppel was on the board of directors of the United Way up in Seattle with Mary Gates. And she convinced him to give her son, Bill, the startup money to start Microsoft. And so like, she's like, so he's like, you know, trained by like these like Nazi eugenicists, dude. You know what I mean? So it's like crazy, both sides. So yeah, no love for Gates around here. So. Yeah, well, I mean, and also Bill Gates, it was so funny because we are in lockdown, right? Our governor yeah. is saying we can't do anything, whatever. But also then in April of 2020, while we're in lockdown, they passed legislation that was supported by Gates and it had everything to do with public surveillance. So we have red light cameras, we have cameras basically on every corner in Seattle. Wow. And they said that they were passing this legislation to limit surveillance that could happen. But if you actually read the texts of the bill, it absolutely is expanding their ability to surveil us on the street. So we, people keep saying like, you shouldn't go to China because they're gonna surveil you, you're gonna have credit scores, gonna have everything else. We already have that in Seattle. They're already watching everything that we're doing yeah. as you're walking down the street. So people need to be aware of the fact that this isn't about to come. This is already here. We're absolutely, absolutely. And I just wanted to tag out. I just wanted to verify it, make sure I wasn't wrong. But I'm pretty sure Thomas Watson was also a former OSS and Skull and Bones. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't know that. Oh, I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to dig even deeper. <laughs> yeah, Thomas Watson. Yeah, he's a dark figure for sure. Well, I was impressed by what you knew, but holy cow! <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. I didn't know that. Okay, very, very. Good. I didn't know that. Okay, that just adds a whole new, <laughs> a whole new layer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So, you know there's the uh, Tavistock and IBM connection as well. No, we were, see, we're going to do a Tavistock yeah, episode we'll soon. We'll break it down for me. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, so, Susie, I know you do a lot of work, legislative advocacy, right? And and so we've kind of touched on that a little bit here so far. But tell me about how you got started with that and some of the highlights. We'll talk about uh, like 277, 866. Like these bastards in California, like they just, they just, what? Okay. Anyway, just tell me a little bit about what <laughs> legislative advocacy is and we'll start unpacking. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I, I knew a bit about the legislative stuff that was going on, but in 2015, mm -hmm. the whole West Coast was under attack. Yeah. In Washington State, we had House Bill 2009, and in Oregon, we had House Bill 442, and in California, we had Senate Bill 277. And all of those bills were to remove exemptions for our children to be able to go to school without vaccines, without one or all vaccines. Mm -hmm. So seeing that attack... And then looking to see who the sponsors and the funders and the lobbyists were in that. It was all pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. So it was really easy. It wasn't like you had to dig deep back then. They didn't have the same kind of censorship that they do now. Yeah. So that was, you know, seven, almost eight years ago that I'm looking at all this stuff. So I was able to find stuff pretty quickly just by doing a Google search wow. and see that these pharmaceutical institutes are funding a lot of this and a lot of our legislators that are introducing this legislation. So in California with SB 277, it was Senator Pan, obviously we all know and love him so much. Hmm. Um, and he won, but he was the only state that won. Oregon and California were very fortunate to beat back those bills. So we maintained exemptions. In Washington state at the time, we had four exemptions. We had a philosophical personal belief exemption. Mm -hmm. We had two different religious exemptions and we had a medical exemption. Okay. So we were able to, to maintain those. And for the most part, we still have all of those except for against the MMR vaccine. You cannot get a personal belief exemption now for that vaccine. Okay. But that is what got me involved and made me say like, there is some serious bullshit going on that we need to stand up and figure out why this is happening. And that these corporations and these pharmaceutical industries should not be the ones that are getting to make the decision for our children and decide whether they go to school or not. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 that's intense. Wow. So I, I'm so sorry to go ahead, go ahead. but nope. uh, this was one of the things we were talking about before there was sound, but that's fascinating. The MMR was one of the ones you could not get a personal belief exemption for. So in Washington State, you cannot get a personal belief exemption now for MMR. Wow. So what we had talked about, just to share with yeah, the audience, is that so that's the story. My birth story is centered around uh, the, the uh, R part of MMR. I was born with congenital rubella. That, that's the story. Um, so, you know, I was very resistant to this whole, you know, that's what I'm saying, is that I was very resistant to, you know, any kind of uh, discussion against vaccines because my mother wasn't vaccine, vaccinated, my father wasn't vaccinated, and I was born with congenital rubella. But uh, that's really fascinating that that's the one that, because it seems to be the one on both sides of the argument. It's the ones that the, when people first start diving into, uh, you know, vaccine injuries or just because of vaccine injuries. I think there's a lot of, I know one of my best friends, her son was vaccine injured from the MMR. Um, so it seems like, you know, people are very adamant about that one in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, and then on the other side that, you know, it's not negotiable. And yeah. So do they have a justification? I'll just to ask a question. Did they have a reason why that one was not it was um, it was Paul Harris, his representative, that introduced this piece of legislation. It was House Bill 1638. And the reason that he did is because he has a grandchild that's diagnosed with autism. Um, and he wants to make sure, he said that he wanted to make sure that everyone that could get vaccinated would get vaccinated so that we could protect those that couldn't. Which obviously for those of us that know, that doesn't make a lot of sense because the MMR vaccine is a live virus vaccine. And for my child who is immunocompromised, being around anyone that's been vaccinated against that in, 30, in the first 30 days puts him at risk. And we've seen actually adverse reactions from him being wow. around people. So okay. it, it's actually quite backwards if you know the science. Okay. Yeah, and I actually, that's so I wrote an article in uh, 2020 about um, shedding and it, What's really interesting is, of course, you know, the conversation has changed, just like they like to change definitions of things. But in the old days, they used to tell mothers of infants or young children when they were going to take them for the, their vaccine to be aware that they were contagious. And that was a very common practice that doctors would tell these mothers they are contagious, so you need to take precautions. But now suddenly, shedding is not a thing. But how was it that these yeah. infants were contagious? Yeah, but back in 2010, 2012, my child's immunologist was still telling me to make sure to keep him home and not allow him around people that had recently been vaccinated with live virus vaccines. Mm -hmm. So it's not that the science changed. It's not that we didn't know that there's still a risk. It's that the politics changed. And so now we're not going to care anymore about protecting these people while saying at the other side of our mouth that we're doing all this to protect the immunocompromised. It's just, it's so ass backwards. There's wow. no logic to this. No. It's infuriating. Yeah, it's very infuriating. I mean, we've definitely seen the logic is out the window and it, it's all politicized, dude. It's, it's, it's to everyone's detriment. It's just so evil, so evil. Um, so tell us about some of these victories that you've had, like, like some of these house bills, you've had some victories. Yeah, so before, instead of just taking away the exemption for the MMR vaccine, they were trying to take away the exemptions in Washington for all vaccines. It was a personal belief exemption so that you could only get a religious or a medical exemption. We beat that back fortunately. Um, and we've done that throughout the country. And now just in California, we had Senate Bill 866, and that vaccine was going to allow minors to get vaccinated, not just without parental consent, but without parental knowledge. Yeah. So you could have a 12-year-old go and get 
the vaccine for COVID or HPV or anything else, they could go home and have some kind of adverse reaction, have a seizure. They could be lethargic. They could start vomiting. They could lose consciousness. And their parents never were going to know that they were given that vaccine unless the child decided they wanted to tell them. Now, I don't know about you, but as a kid, if I did something that was against what my grandparents told me to do, uh, and I had some kind of bad effect, like I went and swing on the rope swing and it fell and, you know, I got hurt, which happened to me. I didn't want to go tell my grandparents I was swinging on that rope swing and this is why I got hurt. These kids that have these severe adverse reactions, if they're able to tell their parents, like they're not going to want to tell them it was from a vaccine that they went and snuck behind their parents' back to do. So they're setting kids up to stop being honest with their parents. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's why they're setting up all the medical clinics on the school campuses, right? Totally. So that they don't have to talk to their parents about what's happening. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with that, I mean, I feel like there's a larger agenda going on, like redefining like what uh, consent means in a lot of ways, like and really just kind of uh, putting a wedge between parents and their children. Yes. You know, that's a huge part of it. Um, are you familiar with the whole, I'm sure you are, like the whole idea of inf- uh, implied consent? Yeah. Hell, that's like a thing now where it's like, if you, it's, it's so like satanic where it's like, you know, if you like, we're going to put this little information down here, like we're going to put a a small print down at the bottom. And if you, if you don't acknowledge it, then, then, I mean, we told you, you know, it's your fault. Like, we're going to tell you that, okay, there's going to be a vaccine clinic, you know, here on this day. And if you let your kid go to school that day, that implies that you consent to them doing it. You know, I mean, I think it's just so, I mean, you know, isn't that insane? Like, are you seeing that like kind of just sneaking into the, to the, to the conversation, like that being a thing. Yeah, it is so much. And the thing is like parents, like we already have so much on our plates, right? Because we're supposed to keep up with the Joneses. Like both parents are working. There's all this stuff going on and how much time do you actually spend with your kids now? It's really, really difficult. Yeah. And so that's where they're sending home a 30 page packet at the beginning of the year saying, sign it. Are any of those parents actually reading all of that? They, they can't. They don't have the time. They don't have the energy. They don't have the capacity to deal with all of that. And so, yeah, implied consent's in there. If you send your kids to school on any of these six days, we're going to have a flu shot clinic or an HPV clinic or anything else. So getting those school-based medical clinics in there, it's setting us up to be able to allow our children to be vaccinated. And they're saying the parents gave consent because they sent their kids to school on that day, just like you're saying. It's absolute insanity. It should not be the way it is. But if people look at that and don't see the collusion, again, schools with the pharmaceutical industry, like, uh-huh. I don't know how to open your eyes. Yep. I just, I don't yep. know. Yeah. What do you think, Corey? Um, well, I, I think what you were talking about with the dividing the children, yeah. there's a saying, you know, you don't need the guns when you have the children. Oof. And I, I think there's a lot of tr- truth in that. You know, the I, I think that this is part of a much bigger agenda. Uh, and I do think we touched a little bit on it, you know, the eugenics movement, the neo-Malthusians. I, I think this is part of a global takeover. And one of the first things that they've always said was really important for them was to take the kids away from the parents and to turn the kids away from the parents. Uh, to turn them against the parents so that they become allies of the state versus allies, uh, you know, part of the family unit. And I, I think that that's a huge part of what's going on here with the education system is a huge part of that. We see that with the critical race theory. We see that, you know, the identity politics. Um, we're certainly with big pharma. Uh, and now we're really seeing it with the uh, tech ed that they're implementing. Uh, and I, what people... People like to divide things and categorize them. I think it's easier to understand. But what people need to understand is all of this woke identity politics and SEL uh, that's being taught in the schools are paving the way 
for this tech ed. And this tech ed is doing endless, countless data mining on the children, which will ultimately be to control them and you know lead to a transhuman, ultimately a post-human type world. And I think that the big pharma agenda that they're colluding with the schools is part of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree. I agree. Like this is this just normalizing and incrementally rolling out like mandatory injections is just part of this new you know, transhumanist movement that they're trying to usher in. You know. Well, and what they say is that it's not mandatory, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to get the vaccine, or you don't have to get the jab. You just can't go to school. No. You don't have to get the vaccine or jab, but you can't send your kid to daycare. You don't have to get the vaccine, but you can't go to work or you can't travel or you can't do whatever. So it's like they, they don't want to say it's mandatory because it's not. Yeah. We're just going to strip you from everything that you rely on or that you believe is there to support you yeah. unless you get the jab. Yeah. Because they want a feudal system and yeah. it's much better. It's much easier to have serfs who you know, think that they're free. They have this illusion of freedom, but they're mm -hmm. opting into a serfdom system, yeah. uh, which is ultimately they're making themselves slaves. But it's much easier to do that than it is to do it by force. And when you do it by force, I think they they learned. You know, when I say they, you know, the the elites, the the powers that shouldn't be. Yeah. I, I think they learned from the system hundreds of years ago yeah. that when they do it by force, their their serfs don't work as hard. You know, but when they're yeah. under an illusory system where they think that they're working for their own freedom and their own advancement, they're of course they're gonna work much harder. Yeah. So, yeah. And I can say that about my child. Like, right, he was injured by vaccines. The state and the federal government will give me thousands of dollars a month to help him to do therapies or whatever else with him. But then they also have a say in what I do yeah. with his life. Yep. Yeah where he goes to school, what therapists he sees, what injections he takes, what medications he's on. But you get so worn down by the injury and the impact of that, that most parents have to say yes, because they can't financially support him. They don't have the emotional capacity. They don't have the time, they don't have the energy. Like there's so many things. They absolutely deplete you. They get you at your lowest point when your child is suffering, which for a parent is the most pain you can possibly feel in the world is to yeah. see your child suffer. And then they say, here are all these options. All yeah. you have to do is say yes to us and let us have a little control over your kids. Oof. It is so evil. Yeah. And I would just add one more Go thing ahead. to that. You know, that that's exactly what the, when you were talking about how parents don't have the bandwidth or the time to read these 30 page documents. Uh, because both most of the time, both parents have to work and they're exhausted and they have to take care of the kids. And I think that that's, you know, when you were talking about incrementalism, they, yeah. they started this so long ago. You know, this idea of, and, and again, I'm not, I, I always feel like I have to qualify. I'm not saying that women shouldn't be able to work or, you know, but this idea that women should be forced to work, you know, is really, they entice them, right? That, you know, they, they were empowering them with the whole women's live movement, but really it was so that they would be part of the taxpayer system and also so that they'd be worn down, right? Now you you can't make a living on just a one- No, and know, then also then, then now you're serving the kids up to the state schools. Exactly, right? because exactly. it's because you're, yeah. not, you're not home with the kids. Yep. Yeah. You yep. know, one, yep. one parent was usually home with the kid. Now they both have to be 
yeah, they give them over to the state. And that I think that was by design. Yeah, now they're in daycare before school, but then they're in school all day, and then they're in after-school programs, and then they're in sports. It's like, how much time do you actually have to spend with your kids? And then on the weekends, they're doing their extracurricular activities. Yeah. It's like, we do not have the impact on our children that we used to have. I'm not an anti-feminist either, but if you want to go out and work, go do it. But if you want to stay home with your kids, you should be able to do that. But we can't with the society anymore. Yeah. Not with the way that yeah. it's set up and the amount of money you have to make to be able to support your family. Yeah, very much by design. So I'm kind of curious. So did you, following this injury, did you pursue any sort of compensation? Did you go through the vaccine court or what, what was your thought? Did you did you intentionally not? Did you run into any, like what, what, what was that like? So you only have three years oh, okay. to apply. And so back then I'm in fight or flight. So I'm 22, Okay. you know, trying yeah. to I have a child and I'm going through this stuff. So young, have no idea what's going on. I didn't even know what the vaccine adverse event reporting system was. Sure. I didn't even report his injury till he was five because wow. I didn't know. It was long before the point where I could go to vaccine injury court. And still only like one out of five cases are heard and like a 10th of a percent of those are one. Yeah. But even with that, even with people not knowing about bears, not knowing about vaccine injury court, not knowing if they have any means to, you know, to pursue anything against the federal government here, still the federal government's paid out over 4.4 billion, billion with a B, billion dollars in injuries. That's insane. Yeah. And that just shows how much injury is being caused. Because if it's 1% of injuries being reported to bears, as that Harvard program study said, yeah. And it's 1%-ish of these kids that are winning based off of that. And $4.4 billion has been paid out since the 86 Act. Can you imagine what that number would be? Yeah. We'd be bankrupt as a country. Yeah, exactly. It'd be almost as much as Alex Jones is going to pay for his $2.75 trillion thing. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Back to it. But yeah, it's <laughs> insane, man. It's absolutely insane. Um, are you aware of any legis or legislative work or any activist work going on right now to help correct anything involving the, the VAERS or more, more like the vaccine court system or, or the VAERS system, I guess. Like, is anybody trying to be like, hey, you guys, this is bullshit. We need to figure this out. I mean, there's a lot of people that believe that the 86 Act should be reversed. Okay. But there's some good that came from the 86 Act. And what was it, uh, like, uh, Barbara Fisher? Barbara Fisher. Barbara Fisher. Wasn't she working with them, like, trying to help them, like, on behalf of people that were vaccine injured? Like, how to, like, write and some people like criticize her for that, but I feel yeah. like like wasn't she like actually trying to help like make it a good thing for us? Yeah. yeah, she was trying to make it so that we had to report injuries. She was trying to make vaccines safer. Yeah, and just like we'd expect from corruption from government and pharmaceutical industry, you know, there was amendments that happened, and that legislation was changed so that the vaccine manufacturers then were released from liability. But that wasn't a part of what she wanted. That wasn't a part of that original sure, legislation. Exactly. And so that's what we have to keep looking at is year after year, we introduce legislation. I introduce legislation with different organizations throughout the country every okay, cool. single year. And there's so many amendments that are added along the way. And most people don't know the legislative process and understand enough how that works to see that it doesn't matter. I can put my name on a piece of legislation, but 10 committees and two houses later, it's completely different than what I wanted it to be. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I'm endorsing that. Sure. That just means that because the government works the way that it does and there is a lot of corruption, they're able to change it. Yeah, I, it's it's insane. And, and I have, I've had a little, just tiny little bit of experience doing this sort of thing. And it was when I was working, uh, I was a drug and alcohol counselor in my previous life before they told me to take a hike because I wouldn't get injected, right? But uh, I was on this committee called Oregon Recovers and we were trying to pass some like legislation 
to uh, basically provide more treatment beds, you know, easier access to treatment for people, you know, struggling with addiction issues. Uh, and, and basically it was going to be like a 10% tax on beer. That was it. Not like, not even like, because Oregon's known for like their breweries and all this stuff, you know what I mean? It wasn't even like domestic, like, like local beers. It wasn't alcohol. It wasn't wine or like hard alcohol. It wasn't wine. It was literally just beer. You know what I mean? 10% increase. That's it. There hasn't been an increase in 30 years on, on uh, beer tax. And so, seemed like a no-brainer and this is pay for everything that we were trying to do and uh myself and several other people were in like a meeting with uh, our state representative proposing this idea to her had it all like all the legislation was ready to go like the bill was written and all this stuff and they're like she's like well i can tell you right now that this isn't gonna go anywhere it's not gonna get passed and i was like oh really and she said yeah the alcohol lobbyists are just way too powerful and i was just like really you're just gonna say to my face that you just take too much money from the alcohol people like that's is that what you're saying like is that in other words what you're saying like well, <laughs> is that really how it is like is it just that corrupt it is like oh and that's how the man vaccine manufacturers are that's how that yeah. whole industry is it's like there are so many lobbyists and they have millions and billions of dollars that they are putting towards lobbying for whatever that is they want and that's why it's so important that grassroots organizations that we really do show up at their capitals every day, yeah. that we do meet with our legislators, that we build those relationships because that's the only way we're going to be able to beat back the money because yeah. we can't be in there and take them out to the fancy meals and give them all the pushbacks and all everything else that happens, you know, but we can show up as constituents, mm -hmm. you know, and say we are a powerful voting block. And if yeah. you don't support us and what your constituents are asking for, then we will vote you out. Yeah. <sighs> It just blows my mind, like that level of corruption exists, you know. And how do how do they even get away with lobbying, like lobbyists? Like how is that? Like is that in the Constitution? Like is is there like a? I've never heard of that in the Constitution. Like how did it evolve into this? Like these special interest groups, who it's it's not they don't represent we the people. They don't represent the interests of the people who are actually affected by this stuff. Like it seems like that's a big thing that we need to take a look at. Don't you think? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Yes. Please. <laughs> but please. I just want to say on a positive front, yeah. for those that want to get involved in the legislative front yeah. that want to have a powerful impact in their state, one of the organizations that I work with is incredible. An attorney, Diane Miller, runs um, RightToRefuse.org. Okay. And it is all proactive, protective legislation. It's about the right to refuse vaccines, testing, masks, whatever else is going on. We, She, that her organization, I say we because I'm a part of it, but it's her. She is the one um have introduced legislation on 25 states okay and she is an absolutely incredible like powerful woman that just goes to bat for our kids and for people uh, and she just she has the knowledge you know she's an incredible attorney so i would always encourage people if they want to get involved in the legislative front to do something proactive and protective to check out diane miller and right to refuse okay right to refuse.org folks yeah. check it out that's <laughs> awesome um okay so i was kind of curious and uh you know over the years, you've probably implemented a lot of uh, holistic treatments and things that you that has allowed your son to have like <laughs> a, some sort of uh, you know has recovered into a certain degree. Is there any advice that you give to parents maybe going through a similar thing, um, or maybe they don't even? I would imagine there's there's the cognitive dissonance you described. There's probably folks out there, maybe somebody listening or will listen to this in the future, where this happened to their kid and they didn't know what happened. And they've been told this whole time that oh yeah, it's just you know this just happens sometimes to some people. And now the, the dots are connecting. Is there any advice you'd give or any, uh, you know, treatments that you would suggest that were successful for your family? Well, the first thing I would say is that vaccine reactions are real and they're not rare. So 
just know that. And if your doctor's telling you it's not possible, you can always reach out to me. I'm sure my email address will be put in there somewhere. Oh, I can put it on there. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'd be happy to talk with you. Um, but as far as implementing treatments, the most important thing that I would tell people to do is to switch their diets. Go okay. to an organic, whole foods diet. Remove gluten, dairy, and soy. Those tend to be the most inflammatory and triggering foods for our kids. Um, if you can do corn and rice as well, that's very helpful because they just tend to be very inflammatory for our children. Going to organic whole foods diets, um, make sure that your kids get outside. Mm -hmm. Take Grounding. off their shoes. Exactly. Have them walk in that dirt. Support their microbiome. They need that. They need to get outside and they need to have that connection with the earth. It's so important. Um, clean filtered water. Make sure that if you're filtering it, that you put those minerals back in because they need them. They're okay. critical for their health. Um, clean water, clean food, clean air, air purifiers are really important, especially if you live in an apartment complex. There's a lot of mold and those mycotoxins can cause a lot of different neurological disorders. Um, and people don't know about that. So even just implementing those few things, you will see such an incredible improvement. I know for my child in the first 30 days, I saw at leaps and bounds improvements. So for those that don't know, when your child's diagnosed with autism, um, they're given an autism treatment evaluation checklist score, which ranges from 10, which is diagnosed with autism, to 180. My child was 159. He didn't have seizures, so he was as high as he basically could go without that. And I was told by his entire team that he'd never improve at all. But after 90 days on our Generation Rescue Family Grant, which is just doing the things that I told you now, implementing also fish oil, digestive enzymes, because our children have a very difficult time digesting their food, um, his score went from 159 to 109. Hmm. It was a very cool. short period of time. Wow. It was such a significant improvement. He started That's trying huge. to make words again. He started making eye contact again. He started trying to have social interaction again. He started playing with his toys again. And he's still, I mean, he was still severe. Sure. And there was still that just enormous improvement. So I would really encourage people to do what I call just the foundations of health. Wow. And then talk about that on initiatives for family health, right? That's yes, all in there. I okay, cool. Yeah, I'm awesome. a health coach, a life coach. I'm kind Good. of an everything coach. And right. I, any families that can't afford to um, pay for, you know, practitioners and whatnot, I yeah. work with them for free. I'm happy to do whatever I can to help them in any capacity that I possibly can. And if I can't help, I can refer you out to people. I know Perfect. doctors and therapists throughout the world. And then what, where would they get a hold of you? For? Is that through Initiatives for Family Health? Or, or they can just email me okay. at Susie, S-U-S-I-E, at initiativesforfamilyhealth.org. There you go. That's awesome. Well, I That's have awesome. something to yeah, Please do. Yeah, of course. Um, so what's really interesting, too, is a lot of uh, – and this is something you, you may be aware of, uh, that a lot of food allergies have increased since the the rise of the, the explosion of how many uh, vaccines that children are, are given. Mm -hmm. And it, so some of the common allergies are things like peanut, right? Peanut uh, egg is really common. Well, one of the things that happens in these vaccines, peanut is actually ingredient number 67 in many vaccines. What? And Yes. They put peanuts in the vaccine? They put peanuts in the vaccine. They put eggs. Oh. They put chicken. But here's the thing. This is why it causes the allergies. It's because, so our bodies are designed to digest these things, right? It goes through yeah. our normal digestion, typically our mouth, we, you know, the emulase, and then it goes through our, you know, intestines, all of that, right? But it is not designed to be injected into our bloodstream. No. And when it does, it creates a trauma response. And so the next time the body sees this, this time through a more uh, 
you know, a more viable, like, you know, it's a, a more normal approach is just to ingest it, right, which is what we are designed to do, but the body recognizes it, and it has another trauma and a protective mechanism wow. against it. This is why, I mean, it doesn't happen for everyone, but this is why we're seeing such an explosion in food allergies, yeah. and it's largely due to, so, yeah, I think the, the whole foods, but I just wanted to add that because, you know, a lot of people are like, why are these food allergies? So, I mean, I don't remember food allergies being a thing. I think, I think they started to surface around the time I was a kid. By the time my sister, who's only six years younger than me, she's anaphylactic to it. And it was super common. Yeah. No, I think it's really important because they also used to have a contraindication to the flu shot if you had an egg allergy because, yes, egg medium is used in that. And they took that away. But then this year, just in fact, it was last month in October, the ACIP meeting, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices had the meeting, and then they put that advisor back on there to say that if you have an egg allergy, not to get that regular flu shot. So I do think it's really important that, you know, they try to roll things back like that, and then we see this horrible outbreak happen, yeah. and, you know, they have to at least at some point acknowledge it. Wow. So uh, these ASAP meetings, like, it, it kind of brings... Okay, it reminds me, like, recently they just had the whole meeting with the whole adding the COVID shot to the childhood vaccine schedule, right? Which is insane. That probably yeah. wasn't, they didn't probably allow the same format, having, uh, allowing public opinion, people coming, did, or did they? They know. did, but before oh, okay. we used to be able to be there in person. Yeah, so it was right? all Zoom. So, I've seen the Zoom calls. Yeah, so we used to be able to, whoever showed up at the meetings, which yeah. was like nobody, but yeah. whoever showed up was able to comment before every vote. And after every conversation, mm -hmm. like you go up to the mic, you could address the committee. Yeah. There's 15 voting members and there's 25 liaison members. And then the rest of the CBC room is filled with pharma reps. Like that's all they are. They're pharma lobbyists. I mean, wow. you literally go down and they go up to the mic and also give comments. So I'm just, you know, I'm standing there terrified, shaking, like trying yeah. to give my comment as a parent. Yeah. That is just trying to stand up for children. And then we've got these people with billions of dollars behind them coming up right after me, like giving these ridiculous testimonies that are not backed by science, but they have the money mm -hmm. and everything behind them. So they're taken more seriously. Whoa. So we did have, technically, we had a right to speak out during these ASAP meetings, this, these previous ones that we had. But since COVID, what they're doing is instead of everyone being able to give public comment that wants to, you sign up and then you're part of a lottery system. Oh. It's a BS lottery system. Whoa. Because I don't know if you know Dory Reese, no. but she is a professor at UC Hastings. She's super pro-vaccine. She's gone after Paul Thomas. She's gone after Dr. Mm -hmm. Sears. She's gone after every single doctor that's ever given any vaccine reactions, but specific, or um, not vaccine reactions, vaccine exemptions. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but specifically in California. And she just miraculously gets chosen all the time to wow. give public comment. So it's definitely a very corrupt system now. Wow. Even more so than it was before. Wow. So what was your reaction to them approving the shot for the COVID or the, the COVID shot for the child of vaccine I mean, I knew that they do it. Yeah. There's no no surprise there. It was there no, no, there's no surprise. No. Because that's not what they do. They they don't go in to discuss it and potentially not vote for it. Everyone it's already rubber stamped. Like as soon as it goes on the schedule, we know that it's going to be voted for. But I still encourage people to sign up to give public comment or to, to sure. write in and give public comment because that becomes a part of the record. Sure. So that public record will always be there because in 10 years from now or 20 years from now or 50 years from now, they can't say they didn't know because yeah. we have doctors and scientists and immunologists and biologists and virologists and epidemiologists. We have all these specialists from around the world sure. that are giving testimony backed by science showing 
that there is no reason to give these jabs to our children, and yet you are mandating them by putting them on the recommended schedule. They say it's not a mandate, but it very much is in many states. Yeah. You know, there's so many states where they don't accept exemptions. And these parents, because of everything that's happened, both parents have to work, they have to send their kids to school, therefore they have to give their kids the vaccines that are on the schedule. So evil. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I don't know who's going to set the record for saying it's so evil. And it's so <laughs> Man, uh, so um, uh, what was I gonna say? What was I gonna say? So uh, we'll make it oh, a drinking yeah. game or yeah. non-drinking game. <laughs> what I was gonna say is, uh, um, how can they? So they have this supposedly approved COVID shot, right? The community, whatever it's called, right? It's not even available in the United States. They haven't like given anybody any community <laughs> shots. So I know they're just playing like games. I'm trying with, to get away from the mic while I sigh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, with, with approved, unapproved. So technically, all the all the shots that are being administered right now, including with kids, are all emergency use authorized. Emergency use authorization. How do you get a an emergency use authorization shot on the approved permanent schedule? How does that work? So I wrote into CDC. Yeah. Because I said, how can you exactly what you're saying? Yeah. How can you put an emergency use authorization jab on the recommended schedule when you know this is going to go out? to all the states and then also other countries look at our schedule and they take notes from us, you know, as to whether they're going to put it on or not. And I called them out and I said, is it actually legal to put this on the schedule when it's under EUA and it's yeah. not fully approved? Yeah. They said, we consulted with our legal team and it's legal. <sighs> that was it. Wow. <laughs> Basically, we said so. Yeah. Because we said so. The so our corrupt corporate captured regulatory agency, wow. once again, because we said so. It's good. Rubber stamp, rubber stamp. Who cares? Okay. Okay. Oh, man. Uh, I had a conversation recently with uh, Dr. Henry Ely, right? And I'm sure your, your friends know him, know his work very well. He's got this awesome project called uh, 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 Beyond the Con. Beyond the Con. Are you familiar with that at all? Are you a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it seems like they're attacking this from the perspective of, apparently, they have, these companies have a liability protection, except in the event of willful misconduct, right? So if they can prove that they they were uh, you know willfully negligent, like criminally negligent in their practices, whether it was like the clinical trials or the rolling out, then they're all of a sudden now open to liability. And I'm just like, you know, that seems like a very valid valid thing. And they're going through a very intense legal process right now, like as we speak, type of thing. Um, do you have any hope of any sort of resolution in the courts, or do you feel like there's any chance of any sort of like accountability? I mean, I mean, it seems like, you know, it's just one of those things where you're just like pushing a freaking boulder all the way up the hill and you, don't, you yeah. can't see over the boulder. You don't know where the top of the hill is. You just keep pushing type of thing. So what are your thoughts? I mean, we, I mean, we get victories, right? We do get legislative victories. We do have victories in court. There are victories along the way. But do you feel like there's any hope or any glimpse of anything? I do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but there is going to be um, – there's going to be further information divulged in California later this month cool. about some of these lawsuits and expanding upon what you're saying as yeah. well. Yeah. And we absolutely do have routes and there are spaces where you're talking about where these vaccine manufacturers can be held liable. Yeah. We have enough data to hold them liable. So it's just about whether the court system allows us to keep moving forward or not. Yeah. But as far as what we currently have, not what we're looking for, not for further testing, but what we currently have, there's definitely enough to go to trial on this. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that, that's the, that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about all of this is that, you know, the truth is on our side. You know, the data is on our side. 
And the only weapon that they have is shaming and censorship and just just outright just criminal levels of corruption. Like and the shaming stuff is so ridiculous. Yeah. And it's the, like, I, I don't know about for you guys, but for like someone like me, you almost killed my child. You yeah, ruined right. his life. You ruined his future. Yep. You took everything from him. Like he's homeschooled. He doesn't have friends. He's yeah. He goes through so much suffering. Like all of that's already happened. You can't do anything more to hurt me. So yep. try to quote unquote shame me. It's not going to work No. because my only accountability is that sweet baby of mine. Yep. And I'm looking in his eyes, telling him that I'm going to do everything I can to stop this bullshit from happening to other people's children. That's it. That's my only accountability. Yeah. It's like that uh, Atlantic article. It's like, we, we need a uh, Did you see that? Have you seen that? Amnesty. I don't think so. I posted it. I said, how about no? <laughs> I wanna, Sorry. So, so Ryan, Ryan's not joining us. Okay. Morning, yeah. Obviously. So oh. let, me, let me pull this out here. So yeah. I'm, like the camera's kind of drifting. You guys are good. I'm just kind of like, I'm falling off. You need to get closer. Uh, we don't have cooties. Uh, I don't know what's going on here, but uh, the camera's the tripod sucks. Everything sucks. Everything sucks. Here, we're going to do this. So, uh, we need a. Uh, we need. Uh, yeah, I was like, uh, how about. No. Amnesty. It was like I we was... need to uh, forgive each other for what we said when we were in the dark about COVID. Yeah, that, that's uh, what it was. Pandemic. But but see, the article is such it's so it's so evil, dude. Hold on, let me see. Yeah. They might have pulled it. Are you gonna read it out loud? Yeah, we're gonna go through some of it if I could find it. Um, pandemic amnesty. Okay. That, that was it. I thought you just I think you just passed it. Let's pandemic amnesty Atlantic. Or pandemic amnesty. Yeah. God, it's so yeah, weird. Yeah, that's it. Written by Emily Oster. That's it? Okay. So this yeah. is not the this is not the It uh, might not be the original, but it might have a link to it. Nah. Yeah. Wow. Atlantic. Gosh dang it, hold on. So I texted Ryan earlier and I was like I was like We're all gonna be on our phones. I know, I was like, Ryan, I can <laughs> I consider you a good friend and I'm yeah, really I sorry have... about oh. sending you this. What's the actual title of it? Uh The Atlantic. Um It's let's declare let's a pandemic amnesty. Declare a pandemic amnesty. Okay. And so I sent him this, and I was like, "Sorry, Ryan, I consider you a friend, but this is going to give you a literal heart attack." So I'm just like, "I'm going to send you go." So um, do you just give Ryan a heart attack? I know I didn't, I didn't want to give him a heart attack. That's why he's not here, right? I know, but no, he's like, he's like, he's like, yeah, I know. Like we're no longer friends. He's like, yeah, I know. We covered it on the show earlier. So anyway, so um, yeah, let's see. Um, that along with that uh, whole, uh, you know, they're reviving the Ministry of Truth and they're uh, they're using the, uh, what was it, the Department of Homeland Security to censor us. Those uh, were the two big, yeah. Yep. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just, okay, it's, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Okay, we're just going to do a quick, quick read through. So now what they're saying here is that um, let's declare a pandemic amnesty. We need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID. All right. So, but, but the thing about this though, but here's the thing, I'm just going to skip to the relevant discussion here because if you type in vaccine, right, you just go to the meat and potatoes in the article where it's talking. So I'm looking, I'm going to this and I'm looking at it. I'm going to be, I'm looking at it like, are they coming correct on the vaccine? Are they trying to, are they going to say that? Well, it's technically not a vaccine. It's actually an MRNA gene altering experimental injection. And then it's like, you know, at least according to bears, it's been like 30,000 deaths, That's which is only, which is only 1% of the actual probable total deaths. And it's just like, so no, they don't do any of that. And they say, here's another example of when they were in the dark, when the vaccines came out, 
we lack definitive data on the relative efficacy efficacies of the Johnson & Johnson shot versus the mRNA options from Pfizer and Moderna. The mRNA vaccines have won out. So Johnson & Johnson, you're the fall guy, like you were the bad one. So we got rid of you. But at the time, many people in the public health were either neutral or expressed a J&J &J preference. This misstep wasn't nefarious. It was a result of uncertainty. So it's a very, very limited, limited hangout where they're trying to just like backtrack on just a little bit of it. Well, not well, only that, but it's a, the typical Hegelian dialectic, right? Yeah. They're going to yeah. pin the J&J uh, against the mRNA. And so then they basically, ultimately, they can... Uh, do whatever they want because they're yep. going to battle out. That's exactly what they did during last year's FDA vaccine and related biological products advisory committee meeting when they were talking about J&J causing these bleeding disorders in kids. They were throwing them under the bus and I'm like, oh. and everyone needs to see the fact that they're just trying to push the MRA. Yeah. Exactly. And people call exactly. me conspiracy theorists and then I also got a three-day Facebook ban for saying that. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the other, the other part where the vaccine shows up and says, many people have neglected their health over the last several years. Notably, routine vaccination rates for children for measles, pertussis, etc., are way down. Rather than debating the role that messaging about COVID vaccines had in this decline, we need to put all our energies into bringing these rates back up. We need to focus on getting all vaccines back up. This is exactly what I'm saying about yep. the dialectic, right? Yep. They're going to pin both of those against each yep. other to push yep. their ultimate narrative, which is we need more vaccines. Yep. Uh, pediatricians and public health officials will need to work together on community outreach and politicians will need to consider school mandates. So there you go. So the Atlantic, I wouldn't expect anything less from them. Like they like, and then look at this picture, this lady with like the mask. Yeah. Like, Let's declare a pan pandemic amnesty. Okay. Okay. You come to the table and you come correct on any of these that we have all the data, all the evidence, everything for, uh, then maybe we can have a conversation. But until then, there's no way. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way. Um, Man, this is so like I don't know. This whole live stream is kind of crazy. It says we can go for two hours, but I know that's not right. That's crazy. Well, so, well, we did start without sound. I know. I think it, the streamyard glitched out for a little bit, so I'm definitely gonna have to get yeah. it down or anything. So, yeah. all right. So, Susie, you were here uh, a couple like what was it last weekend for the big children's uh, children's health defense conference? Like what was that like? I feel like that was last weekend. Was it? It was oh, last yeah, weekend. It like was the twenty second. Yeah, that was just last weekend. I really wanted to go, but it got sold out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was that? How was it's it? very hard to keep track some days. Yeah, um, it was really good. Yeah. I mean, we had Catherine Austin Fitz there, That's whom awesome. I just I love adore, her. Adore, adore yeah. her. Um, have you ever done a show with her? I have not. Okay, I, really I really want, yeah, really want to. to. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, we'll 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 swap if either of us. She's fantastic. Yeah. We had Layla Sentner, who started a school cool. in Florida, who's just an absolute amazing woman. Um, Sheila Ely, who I personally love and adore. She became, she has two kids. Uh, well, she actually has four kids, but she has twins. And um, one of her kids was given both MMR vaccines when oh. they went in for their shots. And so if you don't know that story of Sheila Ely, I would definitely I so. it, um, encourage you to check it out. They were in Vaxxed. Okay, um, okay, that's right, that's yeah, right. So yeah, yeah, Temple, so one twin, the male twin, received both MMR vaccines and had a severe adverse reaction and regressed into what was diagnosed okay. as autism. Of course, um, it was the male, too, who was more susceptible, typically, yeah. to the vaccine inju injuries. Yeah, Sorry. but his sister was fine because she was spared that, and she's just, like, this brilliant, phenomenal, super talented young lady. Um, so Sheila was there, and she re received a Lifetime Achievement Award, which she very much deserves she's an absolutely incredible human being um so it's just for me it was like meeting up with old friends it's all these people after you've been in this for you know 15 years now yeah. um getting together with everyone and there's just such a message of hope you know that our army is growing 
that even though we feel like we're being shut down and censored all the time, because we are on some platforms in so many ways, we have seen that and we have pivoted and now we get together in person. We do podcasts like this, you know, we make sure that we're continuing to share the information with people. And I think it was encouraging to say, it's important that you use your voice, whether you feel like you're some, you know, big important person like Bobby Kennedy, or you're the mom that no one knows. It's still incredibly important and powerful that you use your voice, you yeah. share your story, you get the information out through the best way that you possibly can. That's awesome. That's awesome. You're just doing amazing work. Um, is there anything you want to shout out, or anything upcoming, or anything you want to plug, or just where people can find you, or just anything? Um, anyone that wants to get in touch, you know, especially people that are injured by vaccines or have children that have been injured by vaccines, my my email, and then I will give you my phone number, um, is open to you. I, I will do everything that I possibly can to help you that recovery is possible. Mm-hmm. Recovery is possible. No matter what the mainstream media tells you, recovery is always possible. And yeah. so we definitely need to make sure that that gets out there. So many people are told there's no hope. Yeah. I was told to institutionalize my child. Basically hey, better on that too. Yeah, me. better luck next yep. time. Mm-hmm. And we know that that's BS. Yes. They said better luck next time? Yeah, basically. basically yeah. Okay, okay, wow. It was a different situation, but they told my mom that the best she could hope for me was to find this institution used in my life. Yeah. So that is what that seems to be what their MO is. And so we get to be the shining example of the fact that that's not the truth and yep. that the quote unquote experts don't have all the answers and that we can do better. And I've personally known and been a part of triple digits of recoveries at this point to full yes. recoveries yes. where kids are able to live functional lives and do what they want to and fulfill their dreams and to have friends and Hopefully someday have their own families if that's what they choose. That's amazing. What are your thoughts on TRS? <laughs> I don't know enough to say. Okay. Okay. I'm uh, just curious. Just curious. If you guys want to give some TRS, true TRS, and the affiliate link. Well, <laughs> I know. I, anecdotally, I think it really does help. You know, with some uh, like you know, pur- purging all the heavy metals that accumulate or like acute doses of it that pass the blood-brain barrier. You know, for vaccine injuries, I've heard it that does miracles. So I would I really encourage people to check out my friend Scott Shoemaker. It's yeah. ScottShoemaker.us. He recovered his son um, like 18 years ago yeah. using heavy metal protocols. There you go. There you and go. he is, his son is, I mean, I met his son. His That's son's awesome. completely recovered That's and awesome. living a whole life, going to college, like just an amazing, beautiful child. So awesome. um, I would definitely encourage people to check that out. I just don't share about anything that I haven't personally sure. had experience totally. with because totally. I don't want to be irresponsible. Totally. But, oh, yeah. but I know so many people, though, that have gone that route and yeah. seen complete recoveries. My next my next big big thing yes. is gonna be Nashville. Um, oh, really? January what is that, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. Um I'm doing a, we're doing a public conference there. We're gonna have Peter McCullough there. Nashville. Paul Alexander. It's gonna be in um Orlando. Orlando, okay. Yeah. You say Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. Orlando. Orlando. Right. I was That's just like... in Nashville a few months ago for another conference. Yeah. So in Orlando at the higher agency, you cool. can go to wellnessparenting.info. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Well, man, we'll maybe see you then. We'll see. I don't know. That's awesome. All right. Well, Susie, anything else? Courtney, do you have any other questions or any final thoughts or anything? Um, I guess I do have just one okay. kind of question. It's about, so I think there's been a bit of a schism in this whole thing because there's a lot of, this may be kind of a controversial question, but um, because I think what what has happened is a lot of people are very awake to maybe not the people at the Atlantic, but a lot, <laughs> but, uh, a lot of people have kind of woken up to the realities of the COVID vaccine and that they're not safe and effective and that there have been many, many unfortunate adverse reactions and lots of deaths as a result. 
but I think there's still a lot of people who are promoting the traditional vaccine narrative. Or you get um, you get people that say like, "Well, I'm not anti-vax," but exactly yeah, those people. Like, and <laughs> I'm just curious how because you've been so seeped in this and you've been uh, surrounded by people sharing these testimonies who are in this you know fight, if you will, uh, proverbially speaking. But uh, and they're so I'm. I'm just wondering, a lot of people who are witnessing all these testimonies, how are they reacting to, do you know what I'm getting at? How are they reacting to the fact that, you know, it's not just the COVID vaccine, that mm -hmm. there's a lot of, real, you know, more quote unquote traditional vaccine injuries as well. I'm really thankful for the fact that, the fact that so many people have woken up during the COVID quote unquote pandemic. Sure. But yeah, this has been going on for so many years. That's why the 86 Act happened. The whole cell pertussis vaccine was causing brain injury and death to people. That's why we have the Vaccine Injury Act. That's why we have VAERS. That's why we have all of these things. So COVID may be like the catalyst, but this has been happening for decades. And I would just say to those people, like, you know, you need to listen to the parents. Listen to these mothers and these fathers. We gain nothing. None of us are anti-vaccine. If I was anti-vaccine, and I've said this a million times, and so have so many other people I work with, if I was anti-vaccine, my child wouldn't be injured by vaccines. Right. I gave him everything that they told me to, when they told me to give it to him, and he almost died. Right. And he now will suffer every single day for the rest of his life because of the fact that I was pro-vaccine. I believed in the system. I believed my doctors. I did what I was told. I was very much believing that they were going to protect my child. So I can't even say that we're anti-vaxxers. We're ex-vaxxers. We're regret parents. There you go. You know, we look at this and we just hope that other people don't expose their kids to the things that we have ours. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay saying I'm anti-vaxxing because I don't have kids. I'm not, I'm, I was never, okay, well, I was pro-vax. I mean, I don't even know. I didn't have an opinion on it before, but now I'm anti-vaxxing. I'm going to get you. I'm on the same team. I'm going to get all of you. We're, we're, we're coming for you. Pfizer, Moderna, GlaxoSmithKline. <laughs> For the record, I hate all the vaccines yeah. on the market. Yeah. <laughs> but to say I'm anti-vaccine feels a little hypocritical since I gave yeah. them all to my job. Sure, fair enough. But I mean, that makes okay. total sense. That makes total yeah. sense. Like, I just, I like to own it. I'm a conspiracy theorist. I'm an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> you're not, though. You're I'm a conspiracy realist because everything you're saying is coming true. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I actually, though, and sorry, God, it's hard this brand, but I'll, I'll just, I'll just it. tell it really, really quickly. I, I really, I, I did a very long version, so I'll make this quick, but I really, really encourage people not to denigrate the term conspiracy theorists because there is nothing wrong with having a theory and putting forth a hypothesis. Yeah. That used to be what was called the scientific Science. method. Exactly. exactly. Right? <laughs> so exactly. a conspiracy theorist is somebody who puts forth a hypothesis. They're like, hey, I see a lot of data points. They all look like they're pointing in that direction. Yep. We should look into this. Yep. That's what a conspiracy theorist is. And the CIA like yep. tried to demonize the term, weaponize the term yep. in 1957 in a document, uh, sorry, 1967. It was a document 1035-960. Yeah. And it was to avert any investigation to the Warren Commission. Yeah. You know, people who were, JFK yes, stuff. exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, and I have not uh, done this dive uh, but I think a little bit earlier, Hopper was also really involved in uh, trying to tarnish this term, conspiracy theorist. 
and there there may be some ties to the CIA there as well. Oh, but yeah, I need totally. to do some more research. On I want to I I know. It. Did the CIA roll out the term anti-vaxxer? Did they come out now? <laughs> I want to know. I want to see the document. I, I want to see the document. I, I'm going to say Big Pharma did that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got that I, one. I'm going to say Big Pharma did that one. But the, yeah. the other term that I know of that was weaponized was uh, isolationist. And that was done by the Tavistock Institute in 1913. And uh, it was because uh, Wilson ran on the campaign that he would not get us into war. And the Tavistock Institute, which was at the time known as the British Propaganda Bureau, specifically designed to get uh, Britain into World War uh, One, and uh, then oversaw Wilson and advised him to gain acquiescence from the American people to support the war. And so the term isolationist became weaponized. So, so they just come up with these cute little pejorative terms to kind of just like dis dismiss people. It's just like, yeah. Well, they invert. Yeah, right? they invert. Yeah, exactly. It's and like it works. Yeah, it does it work. Works. Yeah, yeah, it, it works for normal people. But there's some of us that like, it just makes me stronger. Every time, it just makes me stronger. <laughs> bring it on. Well, and that's what I encourage everyone. It's like, you know, we're sitting here having this conversation. It's so meaningful and powerful. Yeah. And we need to keep pushing the information out there. Yep. But it's also so important just to get together with people. Yep. Yes. That you can have these conversations with. Because yep. you were going to get worn down. Yeah. You know, the fear eventually is going to get to you, the stress, the overwhelm, whatever, yeah. that's going to deplete your immune system. Like, that's just yeah. not good for your health. So get together with other crazy conspiracies. Exactly. <laughs> Hang exactly. out, do a podcast, do whatever you want to do, and just know that you're not alone, that you yeah. haven't been alone, and that you have got people on your side that are going to stand by you, and we'll go to war with you. Totally. Well, we got a nice little truth community growing up here in Middle Tennessee. I know you're going around, like, checking out different places. So, I am. So, yeah. So, so, yeah. At least <laughs> I'm glad you at least stopped through here. Hopefully Tennessee treats you good. And uh, you said you're headed to South Carolina? Uh, Asheville, North Carolina. North Carolina. Carolina. I still, I still haven't figured out which one's which. So. I'm going to be around in those places. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Uh, we had one super chat from Kevin Perez. He says, keep up the great info. Keep up the, keep up the work. So there Thank you, go, you guys. Kevin. Keep up the great Thank you, so, Kevin. All right, guys. All right, guys. Well, anything else? We good? She's got a long trip ahead of us. Yeah. So, all right, guys. So, uh, thank you so much. Uh, Rebunk.news is the website. What's your website, Courtney? CourtneyTurner.com. It's spelled like Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-E-N-A-Y, Turner.com. Courtney Turner Podcast. And then Susie. Is initiativesforfamilyhealth.org. Susie Olds Corgan. All the links are in the description besides uh, besides the um, link tree, but we'll get that sorted out. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Have a great Thank night. You. Peace. Bye, guys. <laughs>